0: Psalm 65, this is Harvest Thanksgiving Day and uh, several early commentators of scripture have referred to Psalm 65 as the Harvest Psalm. There's just 13 verses, let's read it in its entirety. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion, to you our vows will be fulfilled, O you who hear prayer To you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness. O God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth, and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it, You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. These Psalms are poetic. It is poetry. Translated poetry can only go so far. But with the Hebrew tongue in the culture of the day, this Hebrew poetry would have all the more meaning and understanding. But translation has still given us a very good feel for this poetic psalm of praise. In the summer, Ruth and I had um, a few days or weeks holiday in the north Cornwall coast. Booed up to the north and into North Devon. And we visited little coves, had little coastal walks and um, cups of afternoon tea here and there, looking out to sea and sunsets. And one little place we went was, was rather interesting. It was called Moor Wherstow. Moor And it was right in the north of Cornwall, it was in a remote valley. And we go down this valley and come to what had been a a, a very large rectory. There was no much housing around. And they did lunch and tea there. And then there was a little church. And then it was maybe a 15-minute walk down the valley to the coast where there was the waves coming in, the beach, the rocks, and uh, the beauty of remoteness and the wonder of creation all around. So inside the church as we visited, we began to see and understand a little bit, get a little leaflet and uh, read the little story of the history to discover that the Reverend Robert Hawker uh, came here and had this big rectory built that uh, he had a father who was a rector in Cornwall but as a family they were very, very, um, they, they were poor and there was no wherewithal to uh, provide paid education to Robert who was very keen for it. So he actually married a girl 20 years older than he who was wealthy and she paid for him to go through Magdalen Car- College in Oxford Come out with his uh, theology uh, degree in prepared preparedness for the ministry. After a short curacy, he went to Moore Werhamstow, which as a boy he had played. But there was over a hundred years there had been no rector there. So he went into this situation. And quite a colorful character. There were At that part of the coast, many, many shipwrecks uh, of a very serious nature. Uh, The seas were rough, the rocks were treacherous, and smuggling was going on big time. So there were smugglers involved in the then 1800s. He arrived there then in the 1830s. Uh, and there had been a lot of death from shipwrecks. Driftwood was everywhere, and bodies were traditionally buried on the beach. And uh, Robert Hawker uh, observed this, was aware of this. He got driftwood and built himself a a little shack on top of the cliff where he wrote poetry, and one of his poems actually became the national anthem of Cornwall Great You Western Men. And uh, as he observed and was around when there was shipwreck, there were smugglers or uh, related activities that caused death, he uh, decided that uh, he didn't want to see men buried on the beach. So up steep cliffs, he helped and organized bodies, bodies when this happened, to be brought up to the church to give the dignity of burial in the graveyard. And then he did many things, but one of the things he did was in 1843, 1843, he um, organized parishioners to come and have a harvest thanksgiving institutionally in the church this had not happened there were thanksgivings of a different nature a nature that uh, he didn't particularly like as people in the fields Got to the end and got the harvest in, they met, and they had drunken parties to celebrate the in-gathering of the harvest. He decided it'd be nice if the institutional church organized a proper spiritually based harvest Thanksgiving. So he had the parishioners in and they organized a harvest Thanksgiving rectors around and other parishes began to see and be part of this and then in subsequent years just at that time in the late 40s early 50s it spread throughout england scotland wales and ireland the harvest thanksgiving and at that time hymns like all things bright and beautiful we plow the fields and scatter apparently popularized this quickly as they were sung in association with the harvest thanksgiving But this is an interesting point in time. (coughs) The Great Irish Famine, where millions died, was 1845 to 1852. We call it the Irish Famine, it was the Irish Famine, when they were basing their energy intake and carbohydrate to live on the potato, and there was blight and the harvest failed repeatedly. So, from 45 to 52, not hundreds, not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but this affected millions. And in 1950, the population of Ireland uh, was more than double what it is now. It never recovered, uh, though it has recovered a bit. But the population now, today, is less than half that it was back then, as people died by the million and immigrated to Canada. America, uh, if they got there, many died on the boats. So in the midst of, uh, just after he instigated the harvest Thanksgiving, uh, this had an impact on England, Scotland and Wales, not to the Irish degree, but to some degree. There was scarcity, there was blight, and there was challenge for food supply. And during these years of 1845 to 52, with this scarcity of food causing death to this terrible degree developed the harvest thanksgiving throughout the then British Isles it was then the British Isles they were all together before Irish partition Uh, as with an agricultural background I still read the agricultural press and uh, in the press this month it's uh, a uh, there is uh, an article about this. The British, the modern, this is the agricultural press this month. The The modern British tradition of celebrating harvest festival in churches is thought to have begun in 1843 when Robert Hawker invited parishioners to a special thanksgiving service at his church in Morwenstow, Cornwell. Other clergy followed suit. Disgraceful scenes at traditional harvest suppers Ended, and now was launched the Harvest Thanksgiving. It was written in 1864, the modern Harvest Festival, as a parochial thanksgiving for the Bounties of Providence is an excellent institution. Interesting that this was launched and developed at a time when the British Isles hadn't experienced such Food scarcity before. Out of scarcity, out of lack of supply, came a thankful heart for what was and a sense of appreciation to God the creator. And subsequent to that, several Bible commentators referred to Psalm 65 as the harvest psalm. Psalm 65 brings us to creation and the beauty of creation. We have the seas and the mountains, the roaring of the seas, the waves, the morning dawns and evening fades, namely sunrise and sunset. You call forth songs of joy. Actually, at Morwenstead, going down there to that coast and sitting on the southwest coastal path, which I have walked years ago, uh, and looking out to sea on the rocks and just sitting, you can sit in the Reverend Robert Hawker's shack with its grass roof built out of driftwood, and appreciate the sense of the awesome wonder of creation and the God behind it all. And these, 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 these verses that follow poetically lift us up in appreciation to God for his abundance. Verse 9, you care for the land and water it, you enrich it abundantly. Verse 11, you crown the year with your bounty. Verse 11, later, and your carts overflow with abundance. Verse 12, the grasslands of the desert overflow. And what we've got is abundance, bounty. This amazing God. The reality is, there's enough food in the world to feed the world. But there's a big issue with man management. And this region, as dramatically affected by Russia and Ukraine, and people today in Gaza starving, not only in Gaza, many other spots across this globe. So as we speak about this, in the reality of the news of the day, your heart goes out with big, big questions, unanswered, some unexplicable. Yes, it's a fallen world, and man's mismanagement is gross. But amidst provision, let's remember those who are in the edge of starvation. The reality is that this psalm shows that every human and everything that God the creator did is interdependent and interconnected. Now, we understand that a little bit better today than generations before because we've become to be made aware of the food chain. We've come to see that plankton and algae, green stuff that floats in the pond, is not something that you just ignore. We've come now to understand that algae and plankton there and through the tadpole and the food chain, Uh, from the insect to the caterpillar to the bird to the animal are all in a chain of interdependence and we're part of that chain. And we are only alive on planet Earth today because we are part of a chain that works and that's led to food. And behind this is the sun pouring its energy down into the green leaf throughout the globe of the tree and the grass, etc. And into the chlorophyll is a manufacturing power plant that uses the energy of the sun and other sources of energy to then create carbohydrate, to feed the plant, to grow the tree and the plant, or to feed us directly. If we eat the potato, for example... Then that is the potato plant creating its energy through photosynthesis to build up the carbohydrate in the tuber and we eat that. Or an animal may eat the grass or the potato and then we eat the meat. But either way, it's one very fickle line. And it's incredible that the more scientific knowledge comes out, and it's huge today with the James Webb telescope and the more modern one uh, out there going to the distant, distant edges of things. And that it's all the more amazing that planet Earth has on it this capacity to produce food. And amazing in this chain is soil. I did an agricultural uh, degree course at Newcastle on Tyne. And our professor of soil science retired then, but we, he came back and he wrote books and we were with him quite a bit. Some of you might know the name David Possum. It's David Possum's father, Cecil Possum. He was professor of soil science at Newcastle. And he just spoke of the soil as the living God... Creating of all things most wonderful, soil that was composed of and he would his face would radiate when he would speak of the soil. I just wrote read a little bit of his book last night to whiten my mind again. And all the breakdown of rocks and humus and vegetation of all sorts mixed in there to soil, to create a substrate, a substance of such multi-mineral and nutritious content and trace elements and minerals so that you plant a potato tuber in there or a runner bean in there. Even 45 years ago where I lived, we planted a little sprig of a red oak tree or a maple tree. And these years later they're there. And And a chestnut tree. And the soil, this God created delicate, fragile soil, you put in it something like a chestnut. And in that chestnut is the DNA of everything (laughs) needed for that little seed to then become a tree. We planted such a tree in our garden, a chestnut tree. Just last week, the chestnuts on the ground, by their hundreds from this little seed planted all this time ago. And that's true of the wheat seed producing one wheat seed, producing a whole plethora of hundreds of grains of wheat. And that's true of all of trees, fruit, vegetation on which we either eat directly or via an animal. And all of this is inextricably linked. And Psalm 65 just flows with that linkage. Mountains, seas, valleys, sunrise, sunset. Poetic words are used for sunrise, sunset, rain. And the reality is all across the globe. The winds blow. They take up water. Falls as precipitation over mountains. And discharges itself in hills and valleys. Under the energy of the sun. The manufacturing plants and the chlorophyll of all these green leaves throughout the world. Are manufacturing carbohydrate energy. For you and me and for animals and birds and insects. This is all. Held together with such a fragile line. Such that if the sun were a little bit further away, we'd freeze up. If it was a little bit near, we'd burn up. But it's just there in this fragile way in which creator God hasn't just created it. He holds it in balance as we speak now. And the reality is we have this on the table. And these verses portray God as the God of abundance. You care for the land and water it. You rich it abundantly. You crown the year with your bounty. Your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. And that is the language of the entire scripture from Genesis to Revelation. He's the God of abundance. I suppose beautifully described in John 10 and 10. Jesus came that we might have life. And that we might have it more abundantly. He came to bring life abundantly. And if mankind were to bow to the Lordship of Christ, we wouldn't have a food scarcity issue. We would have ample and plenty for all. And the day is coming, the detail of which the mind cannot grasp. But it's showing us a day when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And in a new heaven and a new earth. With poetic words that don't describe what we can rationally get our mind around. But the reality is there will be a glorified situation where there will be the absence of corruption. There will be the absence of mismanagement. And the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And this creator God will ultimately bring things so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then there won't be a problem. But there is a problem today. Gaza is a reality. War and multiplicity of places. Scarcity and famine. And for they who are in the middle of that this morning, what can we do? But just give a little time to be thoughtful. And uphold to our God what we don't understand. But today, when the Reverend Robert Hawker initiated the Harvest Thanksgiving it was immediately followed in those years of the biggest food scarcity the British Isles has ever seen by far. Death, destruction, and immigration as a result of not having energy, food, potato on the table. So it was in those days that people began to appreciate let's thank God for what we've got and lift our hearts and praise him. Help us. It, more in a world of plenty. But still, as Mark has given us figures for food banks, bringing to us the reality of the current situation, let us lift our hearts with appreciation to the God of abundance. And you know, this God of abundance has just manifest himself everywhere. You take... You take the reality of just getting an acorn seed. And sometimes of itself it just uh, falls down, doesn't it? And before you know it, there's a a new tree growing. And just leave that. And that becomes an oak tree. That just brings down acorns by the hundreds, if not the thousands from one tree. And then the jay comes and gets them, takes them away to... Feed itself over the winter. Our God is a God of abundance. And it's manifest throughout his entire creation. This psalm concludes. that Let all of creation lift with joy and thanksgiving to this God. How much more we who are recipients of this abundance. Help us to appreciate it and live in it. The God of abundance.